And it's good to see you. It's good to be with you this morning that we get to open God's word together. Were you ever the type of kid like me who when you didn't like something, it didn't matter how good it was, you were determined to find something wrong with it? You don't have to raise your hand if you were. It's okay. Uh, One time as a kid, my mom made something for dinner that just didn't look good or smell good. Uh, I became upset about it. I complained. I did some other things, but I refused to eat it. And then somehow, in my child power, I'm not sure how this happened, I convinced my parents to order pizza for everyone instead. Yeah, really honoring to my mom. Oh, man. Uh, They ordered pizza with all those gross things on it, you know, vegetables. Uh, and so then I convinced them to order another pizza without vegetables on it, one with, uh, one with pepperoni, because my, uh, my brother likes pepperoni. I don't like pepper. I didn't like pepperoni. I don't really like it now, but I, I eat it. It's fine. Uh, the pepperoni was too spicy for me as a kid. I only wanted cheese. And so my parents picked off every pepperoni for me because I didn't like vegetables on my pizza, because I didn't like pepperoni on my pizza, because I didn't like what my mom had made. And so then they gave me the pizza, and I still complained. It has the smell of pepperoni on it, Mom. The cheese is the wrong color. Does that sound familiar now in anyone else's house? When I didn't like something, it didn't matter how good it was. I was determined to find something wrong with it. In our passage this morning, we see Israel fresh from the deliverance of Egypt, grumbling and complaining against God, uh, forgetting God's goodness and provision. I don't think it was just Israel who is tempted to do those very things. I actually think we are too. And we're going to see why that is in Exodus 15 this morning. So we've been working through the book of Exodus uh, really, the, we've seen the greatest rescue story in the entire Old Testament. And Israel has been released from slavery from Egypt by the mighty, outstretched hand of God. God has displayed his power, showing that there is no one like Yahweh in the entire universe. And so Israel is now on their way to meet with God on that mountain and become his people through covenant. And that's kind of where we, where we pick up the story this morning. And we've been working through our verse of the series. Anyone still working on it? Anyone? Want, do we want to try doing it without the slide today? We only have a few weeks left. I'll give it to you one more week. One more week. Let's say um, Exodus 6 verse 7 together. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burden of the Egyptians. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that we would know your covenant faithfulness towards us in a maybe fresh way through your word in Exodus 15. Lord, would you help us to see that because of what you have done in big ways, Lord, that we can trust you in every other way as well. Lord, use your word and your spirit today as we study Exodus 15, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, we want you to know exactly where we're headed this morning so that if you 
just think, boy, it's hard to follow Brian. He is just kind of all over the place. If there's one thing we want you to come away with this morning, the one thing that we say, this needs to be applied to my life this week, this is what it is. Trials stretch our faith when we trust God's work for, of salvation and daily provision. So don't grumble, trust. That's what we want to walk away with this morning. Trials in our lives stretch our faith when we trust God's work for salvation and daily provision. So don't grumble, trust. And this morning we're going to look at a great grumbling, we're going to look at a great provision, and we're going to look at a great promise. So uh, since B did such a wonderful job reading Exodus 15, 22 through 27, uh, we're going to just reference it this morning, um, and you guys are going to be able to look back on it. It's in your bulletin with the text as well. Hey guys, my, my clicker's not working for the computer again. Let's start with our great grumbling that we see in verses 23 through 24 of Exodus 15. Israel was in a tough place, right? God had promised Abraham in Genesis 15 uh, a land for the people to possess, but Israel had been enslaved in Egypt, and now Israel ha has been rescued, but they hadn't yet possessed the promised land, okay? They were in between redemption and fulfillment. They're in the wilderness beyond the Red Sea, and so once across the Red Sea, the Israelites went into the wilderness of Shur, this rough, rugged desert wilderness. Uh, it was officially past the boundaries of Egypt. And so really, it, for maybe the first time, represented true freedom from Pharaoh. If you guys happen to have memorized the book of Exodus up to this point, which if you haven't, that's okay. But if you remember back in chapter 3, verse 18, uh, it says this, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. And now please, this is Moses talking to Pharaoh, please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. Okay, so that was the request that Moses had originally made to Pharaoh. Yahweh had demanded that Israel go into the wilderness for three days to serve him. And those, that request has now come true. It is now three days into the wilderness of Shur. And where are they? They have now traveled three days and they're, they're thirsty. Their flocks need water. And so they come upon this, uh, this uh, area, this, this bitter water to Mara. And so what we see is that wilderness was life beyond redemption, but short of consummation, short of receiving what was fully promised. And too often, redemption seems ineffective and consummation uh, seems only like a mirage for Israel and for us. The promise to be taken to the promised land had begun but the promised land fulfillment on the horizon seemed to disappear in the sandstorms in the desert. And so up to this point, Moses has done nothing apart from what God had commanded him to do. Moses did not go to Pharaoh without the Lord directing him. Moses did not go to Egypt apart from God commanding him. Moses did not even lift up his hands or his staff over the water without God directing him. 
And so while Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea, we should continue to understand that it is Yahweh who is leading Israel. Yahweh who is directing Moses. Wherever Israel goes, it is because Moses is led by God and directed by God. So each time we see Israel grumbling and complaining, well, they're not ultimately grumbling against Moses, but against God. The Israelite memory of victory was apparently remarkably short. Their worship of God just earlier in chapter 15 seemed to vanish into thin air. After a great victory came a great test. Israel should have expected God to act for them. It's understandable that the third day they began to worry about finding suitable water, right? It's a huge group of people. They had all their flocks with them. I don't like to go hours without water, let alone days. So, so their question, well, what shall we drink? Well, that, that wasn't a bad question. But what was wrong was actually their attitude about it. They didn't have what they expected, and so they failed to trust God to provide it. Well, friends, that's the formula for disobedience, isn't it? We want something. That desire then turns into expectation. And any variable from that, we fail to trust God to provide it. And so then we sin against God. Well, friends, I think it's important for us to see this morning that how we grumble about our circumstances shows us grumbling actually against God. When Israel grumbled about needing water, they were not just grumbling about their circumstances, they were grumbling against God himself. Their grumbling revealed Israel's distrust of God because it revealed that they thought that God had gotten the directions wrong. If God was the one leading them, why did they think God had led them to this place to die? Israel's grumbling longed for the past instead of looking ahead to the future. Christians are called to do the same thing. We're to look forward to the greater fulfillment of this promise. Paul, Paul writes this in Philippians 3, right? But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward toward what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And the very next verse that Paul writes, he says this, let those of us who are mature think this way. Friends, our call is not to think of the glory days of what, I, what Christianity was like 10 years ago or one year ago or 50 years ago. We are to forget what lies behind and press forward toward the goal that we have not yet attained. Because we, just like Israel, have been rescued by God, but yet the full fulfillment of glory with God it has not yet accomplished. We live in a wilderness time, just like Israel does. Israel's grumbling revealed really a form of a victim mentality, not a saved mentality. Yes, they had been slaves, but they were no longer slaves. They had been delivered. They'd been rescued. They'd been redeemed. And so when circumstances seemed threatening, they quickly forgot the significance of the deliverance that they had experienced, and so they complained. The saved mentality is a new beginning. It's, it's putting the past in its place. Being rescued by God should take us from discontent and grumbling to thankful and trusting. 
Grumbling was actually also a sign of bitterness, thinking that they had been wronged instead of being delivered. I don't think that only the water was bitter. I think the people of Israel were also bitter, evidenced in their grumbling. How do we trust God instead of grumbling against God? I, I think that's why the gospel is, is really at the heart of the Christian life. The gospel is how Christians continue to trust God in desert times, even when the eternity with God is lost in the horizon. We need to remember that we are people created by God, created in his image, designed to know him in relationship, and then we willfully rebelled against God. We said we don't want God to be our authority, we don't, his, we don't want his word to be what directs us. We want to know what is good and right on our own apart from God. And so we've rebelled against God. We've turned our backs on him. The Bible describes that as sin. And then God, who is the rightful king of the universe, does not let rebellion in his kingdom go on forever. And so God promises, actually, because he is a just God that he does not let injustice continue. And so the result of our rebellion and our sin is actually a death and judgment and separation from God. And then God in his kindness, in his mercy and love, sent Jesus down to earth to live a perfect life, a life without grumbling, a life without complaining, a life perfectly of trusting in the Father's will the entire time. He lovingly went to the cross to stepping in our place, taking on the punishment that we deserved, taking on the wrath of God for us so that by him dying in our place and then being raised from the dead on the third day, we would be justified. We would be rescued by God by faith. And so we are called then, all of us, to turn from our sin to trust in God for our salvation so that we would then be a rescued people. And then God promises that those who trust in him are then gonna be transformed to become a people who are ready to be with him for eternity. And so the gospel, the good news that we have hope despite our rebellion against God, that is at the heart of the Christian life because that's how we're going to continue to trust God instead of to grumble against God. When we grumble, we think actually that we have been somehow slighted when actually we have been rescued. We have been shown mercy. And so the gospel should always be on the lips and in the hearts of the Christian. God was leading Israel the entire time. Why did God lead them to Mara? It wasn't enough for Israel to sing God's praises. They also needed to listen to God and to follow his leading. Yahweh used the occasions of their complaining to test them and to teach them about trusting him enough to obey and to enjoy his benefits. Trusting God is often really a battle, right, between hope and resentment Faith is often carved out in the sand dunes of the wilderness. And so God led them to Mara to test them and to stretch their faith. 
See, trials stretch our faith when we trust God's work of salvation and in daily provision. And so we are called to not grumble, but to trust. Let's look at this second part, God's great provision in verse 25. Moses cried out to the Lord, looking to God for help. God was not upset that Israel was thirsty. God was not upset that Moses cried to him. God was displaying the reality that God not only saves and rescues, but he also sustains his people. He provides for his people even after their freedom from slavery. And we need only to ask God to provide what we need to trust in him. In fact, going to God with our cries, going to God with our concerns, gives us opportunities to trust God to see where he's faithful. God's response to Moses wasn't anger, although it could have been. It it will be later. God's response to Moses here was to show Moses a log, okay, a visual representation of God acting for his people. God's response was provision. Get that, God's response to them crying out to him was provision. God's response was drinkable water for survival. The water was bad, and yet God had led Israel there. There, Just in case you're wondering, I, I did look up a lot of stuff. There is no known tree that would just naturally make bitter water drinkable. Okay, so this had to have been God demonstrating his willingness and his ability to provide and to sustain and to look after his people. And God didn't need the log to do it. He, he thinks Israel needed the log for them to trust in him. Israel needed something to help assure them that all was well. Really not too different from when they were back in Egypt. And Moses had to convince them that they should trust God, right? So when Moses went to the, to the elders of Israel, right, he had those three things, the, the leprous hand and, and the staff that, that, that turned into the snake and, and the blood, right? God gave Moses those signs to prove to the elders of Israel that, that they should trust God. Well, really, the same thing is happening here. God is giving them uh, something to demonstrate his willingness to provide and sustain and care for his people. Here it wasn't plagues. God's care is being demonstrated with a piece of wood. The Lord was creating a scenario that would force the issue of trust and it would stretch his people's level of trust to increase. Do you guys realize that's why we have trials in our lives? That's at least one reason. God is actually giving us opportunities to increase our faith. In each circumstance, we can respond one of two ways. We can respond where we doubt, where we grumble, where we complain, or we can respond in faith. It is when we respond in faith in difficulties that God grows our trust in him. Not when we respond faithlessly. It wasn't bad that Israel cried out to God. It was that they grumbled to God, right? Instead of what we're, what we're we called to do in, in James chapter one, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And so if you're someone who wants to grow in your faith, 
If you see the faith of others and you think, man, if I could just have that kind of faith. Well, friends, it often comes in suffering and trials. Show me a person who has never suffered and I'll show you someone whose faith has not been stretched, tried, or tested. And yet if God's will for us, for our lives, is sanctification, which is growing more like Christ, and by the way, that is God's will for our lives, then as Christians, then our faith is given opportunity to be stretched and grown. Friends, I think what we see here is that Israel was trusting in God for their rescue, but not for their daily provision. Israel had just walked across dry ground through the sea. And then less than a week into this journey, past the sea, they think that God's not trustworthy enough to provide for them? They were guilty of trusting God for salvation, but not for daily provision. I think the Christian life is sometimes a bit backwards in that the greatest act of love that God demonstrates is rescuing us from our slavery to sin. And yet we then have to learn to trust in him with all the smaller things after that. We trust God to save us from the penalty of our sin by Jesus taking on the wrath of God in our place. But God, this job that I'm in is just with this terrible boss. Why would you bring me here? We trust God to adopt us into his family. But God, my marriage is too big for, of a problem for you to work in. We trust God to forgive an infinite debt against the infinite God through Jesus' work on the cross. But God, we say, I just don't think you love me enough to provide for me. God delivered Israel from Egypt, but they thought that he'd let them die of thirst. God provided. Christian, hear the words of Paul here too. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Trusting God is not the end of salvation. It, be, it, it begins with salvation. So I'm not talking about name it and claim it, okay? I'm not saying prosperity. I am saying that God provides for his people all that we need to trust him and live for him faithfully, which I don't think means expecting a four-car garage or being cancer-free. God is trustworthy in our biggest problem ever, our slavery to sin, which means God is also faithful in every other smaller way as well. That's why it's good for us to hear things like Luke 12 and hear what Jesus says to us. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? And not one of them is forgotten before God. Why? Even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not. You are more of more value than many sparrows. Do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about the body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouses nor barn, and yet God feeds them. How much more valuable are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? 
If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about all the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow, they neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed at like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you? Oh, you have little faith. And do not seek what you are to eat and what are you to drink or be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things and your father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom and these things will be added to you. And then Jesus says, fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Well, brothers and sisters, in what ways do we need to be exercising greater trust in Jesus by simply being faithful to him in hard circumstances, trusting that God would provide for us exactly in the ways that we need? Israel needed God's provision, and their cries were answered. But they were answered in the context of the wilderness, not deliverance from the wilderness. God's provision came, but in the wilderness, on the way to consummation or or fulfillment of his promise. God was stretching the trust of Israel for their good. So we should be able to say, that God led Israel to Marah with bitter water after having three days of having no water, we should be able to say that God did that to them for their good. Trials stretch our faith when we trust God's work of salvation and daily provision. So don't grumble, trust Let's look at God's great promise here in verse 25b through the rest in verse 27. Hearing the promises of God are so important in the Christian life because we are bombarded with opposite messages. Our fallen world originated by doubting God's faithful love. And so God made a very similar promise to Israel in verse 26. He says this, If you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God and do that which is right in his eyes and give ear to his commandments and keep his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord your healer. And so this word that God is giving them, it's both a predictive word of what was to come and a reflection of what had just happened. God is calling them to exercise trust, not only in their salvation, but in everyday provision of life. God's word directs how Israel should live in those promises, how they should live in obedience. God was calling Israel not for partial, but for full loyalty, for full obedience. Whatever God has to say, they were to do it. God would be their physician, he would be their doctor, he'd be their healer. They simply needed to trust God's word and follow his commands. The mention of God's commandments and and all his statutes were not meant to mean different things. Uh, Scholars, you can ask Peter about this, uh, they call that a grammatical parallel, uh, which is the same thing happening two times. Uh, God is described in Exodus 14 
as the God who will fight for his people. And then in Exodus 15, God is described as the redeemer. And so now at the end of chapter 15, God also heals them by teaching them to trust him and follow him. What did Israel find? Just the first thing they find, past needing to trust God. That's what we see in verse 27. They, they came to Elim, where there were 12 springs of water and 70 palm trees, and they encamped there by the water. God provided. It sounds incredible. It sounds like an oasis in the desert. And God led them there. God provided for them along the way. Israel simply needed to trust him. How often is it that right after we've been rescued, right after God does something big, it seems like our, test, our, our faith is immediately tested and it's only down the ways where we see a more provision from God that we didn't know was gonna happen around the corner? That's what happened with Israel. They just simply needed to trust him. So often in the Christian life, we confuse the end with the beginning. The trusting in the saving work of Jesus for the first time isn't the end goal for any of us. God hasn't designed us to be people who end at the beginning of being rescued from sin. Well, <laughs> we got them in the salvation door. Now our job is done. No, that's not, that's not true. God's goal for Israel, God's goal for us, is to rescue us and for us to learn what it means to be a saved people, for our lives to reflect God to others. So salvation isn't the end, it's the first step. Consider what Jesus said at the Great Commission. Jesus came to them and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. The work didn't stop once they became disciples. That's when the Christian life begins. The rest of the Christian life is designed to make our following of Jesus public, which is baptism, and being trained to obey all the other parts that God commands. And so if our expectations of others or our own Christian life is to be saved and then just coast the rest of the time, well, then what we're going to do is we're going to fail to see the purpose of why God has saved us in the first place. And we will then misunderstand why trials exist in our lives for our good and God's glory. If we fail to understand the Christian life and try to end with what has begun, then we will ultimately misunderstand every single time something bad happens in our lives, which then we will then grumble against God. We'll then begin to doubt why God is even doing these things. We'll begin to blame God when actually what he is doing is he is stretching our faith and preparing us to be people who trust in him in every circumstance. Consider what Romans says in Romans 15. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Well, friends, we are reading Exodus 
and we are reading this for our instruction so that we would endure. Endure what? The circumstances that we're in, that we would be encouraged so that we would live in hope and not in grumbling. Imagine if Israel, instead of grumbling, was full of hopeful expectation of God in this passage. Maybe you're here this morning and you're not a Christian and you're thinking, I, I don't even know what these people are talking about. Boy, we're so glad you're here this morning, actually. By the way, I don't think there's any better place for someone to be than right here on a Sunday morning with God's people opening God's word. God's people are called to trust in him for our salvation and for our daily provision. But if you aren't a Christian, I wonder what you trust in. What do you think is going to provide everything that you need in the scariest of times and in your everyday life? Because there's times in our lives when we aren't able to trust in ourselves or in our own ability. We can't fake it until we make it. If we put our trust in money, consider what we've been seeing the last few weeks in the stock market. Okay, look how that's been going. I know how much money I have lost. I can't even begin to think about what's happening to me right now if I put my trust in it. With the coronavirus and other diseases, we cannot guarantee our health or our ability to work. See, at every turn, the great promises of God are better than anything else that we could hope in in this life. And so you too, even if you don't yet trust in God, can know God's great provision and great promises for you in the person of Jesus. In fact, actually, Jesus is, is described as uh, the fulfiller of all of God's promises. All of God's promises find a yes and amen in Jesus. And so you can find forgiveness and provision for your life and great hope in Jesus that is better than anything that the world offers. So if you're not a Christian, won't you turn to him today? Won't you realize the, the better provision of God? Not just in daily provision, but ultimately in our rebellion against God. See, trials stretch our faith when we trust God's work of salvation and daily provision. So brothers and sisters, don't grumble. Trust. Because we can always find issues with things in this life. We live in a broken world that's been broken by sin and its effects are far-reaching. But in the wilderness life, we have one. Jesus, our King, who goes with us, who has gone before us, who does not abandon us when we grumble in sin, but instead has provided for us in the past and will continue to provide for us in the future. So let us not grumble, but trust in God's faith-stretching plans. We would be fools if we were to hear God's word and not be doers of it. We'd be fooling ourselves, actually, if we don't respond to God's word in faith. So let's do that right now. Let's spend a few moments. You're welcome to come to the front of the stage if you'd like. You're welcome to sit in your chair, but I don't want people to confuse that simply sitting in your chair means that you aren't responding to God. Let's respond to God in his word today, and then I'll close us in prayer, and, and then the band will lead us in another song.
Heavenly Father, how quickly prone we are to grumble and to complain and to miss what you are doing in our lives for our good, for the stretching of our faith. God, how confusing it is to say that we trust you for our salvation and then yet doubt you in all sorts of smaller ways. Lord, would you stretch our faith? Would you help us to trust you in our daily provision, in knowing that you will provide what we need to love you and trust you as much as we trust in you for our salvation? God, help us not to say that we verbally trust you and then to only grumble in our hearts. Help us instead to give every concern, every weighty matter of our heart, everything that would cause us to even doubt whether you're good. Lord, would we give that to you? Would we cast those burdens on you because we know that you are good and faithful and that you provide? Lord, would you remind us that because you have given us your son, Jesus, we can trust in you for everything else. So Lord, may we this week live trusting you in each circumstance. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. If you'd like to know what it looks like to trust God in your tests tomorrow or as you go into work tomorrow, as well as in big things like our salvation, come talk to me. I'd love to talk to you more. In fact, nothing would give me more joy than to do that very thing. Hear now our benediction from Ephesians 3. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Enjoy the rest.